Well, sometimes as I prepare my sermons, uh, I struggle to find stories or sermon illustrations that talk about my points. And this week, uh, as I was driving here, as I was on the way here, I was praying about my introduction and how I really didn't like my introduction. And Lord, would you provide me with a a new sermon illustration introduction? Uh, And sometimes... God grants us prayer requests that we don't realize what we're praying for. (laughs) Uh, And so I wanted to share a brief story of you that just introduces this whole topic of what we believe. About 15 minutes before the service, I was standing out in the foyer, and a couple walked in. And I, I greeted them. I was the only one out there. So I walked up and I said hello. And we began to have a conversation. And they began to you know, say, well, you're, uh, you're, you believe the, the Sabbath is the, the day to worship on, that it's, it's God's day and it's the only day? And I, was, I said, well, and I went through and I explained, well, we actually believe that God gives us freedom, that Christ fulfills the Sabbath. But then it didn't stop there. Uh, I, I was asked the question, you know, do you guys believe in heaven or hell? And I said, yes. <laughs> and they said, well, there is none. Uh, there's not one yet. And there were some other comments about our, our worship music, and it was a little too loud for them. But I, I realized as we were having this conversation that this was not good for our congregation, <laughs> that this was a false teaching, a false presence. And I have never asked anyone to leave our church before, but I said, this isn't a church for you. And I asked them to leave. Uh, and if you're new here, I'm not going to ask you to leave. Like, that's not my, uh, I, don't, I don't do that to many visitors. But there is something that is so important, and that's what we believe. That's what the Scriptures has taught us. That on some occasions, if someone comes into our church, Cornerstone, and says, I'm going to try to change this, I'm going to try to change the gospel, I'm going to try to change the heart of Christianity, that's worth saying, no, thank you. Now, if you're someone who, you know, maybe you do have a different set of beliefs than what we, you read in our articles of faith and what you heard here tonight, but you're willing to have a conversation and you're willing to, to hear what we have to say, then I'm so grateful that you're here. And I want you to, to, to sit back and listen and see how God might be challenging you, challenging your beliefs, but ultimately bringing you to a place where you need to be encountering Christ Jesus, encountering the living God. So I wanted to share that story as a way to introduce that what we believe really matters. (laughs) And it's really important. And we're talking about false beliefs and false teachers today as we kind of kick off this new series, What We Believe. But since that was such an interesting experience, I'm going to say a quick prayer here to kind of get me focused on the scriptures and on the message today. And uh, if you would say a prayer for me in your heart, that would be fantastic. Let me pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for answering my prayer. Thank you for providing truth in your word. Thank you for providing us something to believe in. I pray that you would teach us what to believe, uh, teach us your word, teach us your truth through the, through the duration of this sermon series starting today. We ask the Holy Spirit to speak through me and speak to each one of our hearts. So in the name of Christ we pray, amen. 
So we are kicking off a new sermon series, What We Believe. And in this series, we're going to, it's going to be a little bit topical. We're going to jump around a bit. But ultimately, it's following kind of the big themes, the big, uh, the big points of Christianity found in the Bible. So you've already heard the articles today. It starts uh, with the Bible next week. Andy's going to give a great message on that. And then it goes through and talks about, well, who is God? You know, we talk about the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Who are they? And then sin, salvation, uh, uh, mankind, the church, last things, heaven and hell. We're going to talk about all those things over the course of the summer. And I hope that you'll stick it through with us because all of these are important. See, it's not just having belief. It's not just uh, believing in something that matters. It's believing in the right thing. And so I want to start us uh, with a question. I want to start this series uh, with a question asking, well, what's the difference between my belief, which could or could not be true, and the belief, the faith? So let's look at that question. Now, we're looking in the book of Jude today, Jude verses 3 and 4 and verses 20 and 21. And he wrote uh, this book uh, towards uh, many years after uh, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's interesting that Jude himself was actually related to Jesus. So not many people can say that. But James was a brother of Jesus, and so was Jude. And Jude wrote this book. It's one of the shortest books in the New Testament. It's only 25 verses long. We could have read a whole book of the Bible tonight, and you wouldn't have felt overwhelmed, but we decided to keep it to a couple verses. Uh, But he's writing to a group of Christians, and it's not going well. See, false teachers, people that hold false beliefs, have come into their church, and they're trying to take over. And they're they're willing to to go to bat for their beliefs, their beliefs that don't line up with the rest of Scripture. And so Jude writes them this letter saying, well, here's how we we deal with that. Here's how to identify the false beliefs. Here's how to identify the true beliefs. And here's how to stick to the true beliefs. So I want to read verse 3 again of Jude. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once and for all entrusted to God's holy people. Now, do you notice what Jude says? He says, don't don't just contend for any faith. He says, contend for the faith. It doesn't say contend for your personal faith. It says contend for the faith. And so I want to make uh, a distinction here. There are two different types of faith that we have in our life. The first one is my faith. So this is a personal act of belief. This is a personal decision, those things that I hold to. And we see this in Scripture. Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. So you're putting your belief in something. You're believing something about the world, about reality, about God and how everything works. This is your personal faith. Now, this is what we normally think of when you know, someone asks you, well, do you have faith? Do you believe? Well, yes, I do. I, I, I believe. Now, I am not saying that this isn't important. <laughs> this is incredibly important. We're, to, we're called as Christians to believe certain things, to have that faith, to walk by faith, to live by faith. But there's also another kind of faith. It's the faith. 
our body of belief, what we believe. Now, this is a system of belief. It's those things that we read during the service. The NIV Zondervan Study Bible defines the faith as the content of Christian belief as hand, handed down from Christ and his apostles. In other words, these are the things Jesus taught us in his life and ministry. And these are the things that his, his followers taught him, people that encountered Jesus in his lifetime. These are the things they taught us. Jude knew Jesus. Jude knew his teachings. And we see that in the other apostles as well. Now, what are the sort of things that we believe? What, what constitutes the faith? Well, what do we believe about the Bible? We believe it's God's words, that there's something special about the scriptures. There's a spark in there that's different than any other book we have. We believe that God exists uh, in, in three persons, eternally and forever, and yet he's one God. That's a mystery. That's the Trinity. We believe in that. We believe that Jesus died for our sins and rose again in victory over sin and death. We believe in the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to soften our hearts to, to this thing called Christianity, to this person called Jesus. We believe that Satan is real. That's kind of a weird thing. I'm really excited. Bernie's going to be preaching on Satan. And he told me he would be happy to preach on Satan because he talks to Satan every day. We also believe that sin is a real thing, that there's a problem in this world, and that sin, as we talked about in the articles, it separates us from God, and we want to heal that relationship. We want to have a restored relationship with God. We also believe that there's salvation. Salvation is possible to any who repent and put their faith in Jesus. See, faith is important but where do you place your faith? You put it in the faith. And we believe things about the church, you know, that we have a mission to reach the lost, that we're to do uh, things like baptism and the Lord's Supper. And if you come back on the first Saturday of the month, we'll do uh, communion here. See, we place our personal faith in a body of belief, in the faith. Now, there's a couple of different ways we can think about this in kind of as, a, as another illustration, when we, when we say the Pledge of Allegiance, uh, we say it's sort of pledging to a, a country, right? Now, would you be as willing to say the Pledge of Allegiance if there was no U.S. Constitution? Well, probably not, because you wouldn't be pledging to anything. There wouldn't be anything grounding our, our, our country, how about, in uh, different terms, how about if you were at the swimming pool and you didn't know if there was water in the pool? Would you be willing to jump in, <laughs> trusting that there is water? And what if there's not? Because when you're in the air, it's really important if there's water in the pool, right? Otherwise, you're going to hurt yourself. So it's not just the act of jumping that matters. It's not just your faith, but it's also where you land. <laughs> is it, is it going to catch you? And as Christians, we believe the most important thing that you can ever decide is what you believe about Jesus, about God. Because we do believe that when this life ends and we jump from this life into next, the next life, we want our creator, we want our God to catch us. We want to land well. Because we, we do know that there is a heaven, there is a hell. Those are things that we believe in. 
And so we need to identify, well, what is true belief and how can we identify kind of true teachers, those people that we can trust when they talk about those things of eternity, those things that really matter. And so Jude tells us how to identify the true faith. And we see this in verse 4. Jude 4. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Well, Jude, he's saying, yes, there are false teachers. There are false beliefs in this world. You will encounter them even when you're not expecting them. They'll try to come in. But there's good news. So you can identify the false belief, but you can also identify the true belief. And through our scripture passage, we see how. Have you ever watched a a movie or a TV show where there's a police lineup and they they kind of line up similar looking characters in a row and they each have a number and someone behind the one-way glass mirror says, ah, that's the person that did it. That's the perpetrator. That's the offender. Well, Jude gives us a way to to pick out the true belief and the and the false belief. Apparently, uh, in the UK, it's not called a lineup. It's called an identity parade. I thought that was kind of interesting, an identity parade. So let's identify what is true. Identification number one is godly living versus ungodly living. See, we can uh, get a sense of what someone believes to be the case, true or false, by the way they speak and by the way they act. We can also get a sense as, as we grow together in community and we have fellowship here, we can get a sense of what each other believes by the way that we act as and how we treat each other. Now, this verse, uh, this word for ungodly living, it's used elsewhere in the New Testament to refer to Noah and the time of Noah. And if we read in Genesis 6, it says, Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. See, that, that's what it means to be ungodly, to have evil thoughts, to not seek God, to be driven by a heart that doesn't want to know God, that isn't willing to, to enter into relationship with him and obey him. So what's an identification of the true faith? Well, it's just the opposite, Right? The opposite of ungodly living is godly living, specifically Christ-like living. See, the opposite of God-less living is God-filled living, having the Holy Spirit, trusting in Christ, being filled with the presence of God. Now, we encounter this here. We encounter this in each other And it's through the word coming upon our hearts that we grow in our understanding of what it means to know and have a relationship with God. But when we see a godly life, it helps us identify what? It helps us identify the true faith. Uh, At the preaching breakfast this week, someone said, you know, the point of this passage is that right theology creates right living. And bad theology creates bad living. Now, theology is kind of an intimidating word, right? All it means is the study of God. The study of God. So we each do theology, whether we recognize it or not, whether we realize it or not. When we say, you know, I believe this about God, or maybe I don't even believe that God exists, or I believe God loves me, or I believe God hates me. 
we're doing theology. And so we have to ask, well, what is it based on? Is it based on my just kind of personal preferences, those things that I want to believe, the way I was raised, the influences that I have interacted with, uh, with throughout my life, my education, my, my friends? Or is it influenced by something more? Is it influenced by God himself? Because I want my beliefs to be influenced by God. <laughs> I want my beliefs to be put in place by God's words, and by what God says is true. And it's interesting how what we believe about reality impacts how we live our daily lives. It shapes us for good or for bad. See, if I, if I believe that God is holy, well, that's a good thing, right? I'll try to live an obedient life. But what if I forget about God's love, that he also loves us? Well, I need that too, Otherwise, I won't be loving to those around me. I learned this week uh, that the South African apartheid uh, was actually uh, a result of bad theology. Uh, apparently, in the 1930s and the 1940s, in South Africa, there was a university. It was called Stellenbosch University. It's still there today. And it created a theology combining white nationalism, so white power, white, you know, the, 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 the whites, the Anglo-Saxons, they're the ones who should rule, with Christianity. And it, it merged this kind of, you know, I have divine power to say white privilege. <laughs> and you know what that led to? That led to ruin for that whole nation. It led to three and a half, over three and a half million people being displaced, forcibly removed from their homes. It led to people of different color of skins, of black, of brown, Asian, that they lost representation in the government. It led to segregated beaches. It led to segregated health care. It led to all sorts of, uh, of oppression. See, bad theology... What is it? it has an impact on our lives, right? But good theology, it can mold and shape us so that instead of hating others, we are willing to go the extra mile in order to love each other and to, and to share the message of Jesus Christ and what he has come to do. So the first identification of true faith is godly living. The second identification is love of grace. And this contrasts with an abuse of God's grace. See, next Jude says to these believers, he says about the false believers, he says, they pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality. Now, <laughs> this word for immorality, it means debauchery, lewdness, uh, sensuality. And we see throughout the story of Scripture, and we can see it in practical everyday life as well, that Fake Christians, so people that don't hold true to the true faith, that they take God's grace and says, well, God forgives me, so I can do whatever I want, right? If I'm forgiven, then, you know, I can, I can treat those around me unkindly. If I'm forgiven, I can fall into some of these sensual temptations. I can look lustfully at that man or that woman. I can look at those pictures late at night, I can read that dirty novel at the beach because, well, I'm forgiven. I can sleep around. The Bible, God's word, true theology counters that. 
and says, this isn't about you. This is about God. And yes, you've been forgiven, but that grace, that overflowing generosity that God gives to us, it should change us, right? When we realize just how much God has done for us, it doesn't, it doesn't fill us with this desire to just say, how, how much more can I get out of God? It fills us with a desire to say, I want, I want to lay down my life for you because look at what you have given me, God. You've forgiven me of my sins, my, my past, my present, my future. You sent your one and your only son into the world to pay the penalty for my sin. I don't want to, I don't want to add to those wounds anymore. I, know, I no longer want to sin against the one who had to die to save me from my sins. See, when we encounter true grace, it changes us, it molds us, it shapes us. The Bible tells the story of a man who came in contact with grace, <laughs> and it, it just changed his life. Uh, it's actually the story of uh, what I would call a civilian contractor. This, this civilian contractor, he worked for the government, and he was kind of over the people, and he was actually a tax collector. Uh, but he was likely a, a dirty tax collector, uh, kind of uh, taking money as he could get it and, and uh, abusing people. But one day, Jesus came into his life, and Jesus didn't say to this to this man, he didn't say, you need to get it all together, you need to shape up, and then I'll be your friend. Jesus came into this man's life and said, hey, I'd like to come over for dinner. You're, you're having me over for dinner at your house tonight. That is grace. That's a picture of grace. And, and, and when Jesus got to his home and, and, uh, and this man experienced the grace of God, it completely changed his life. He said, I'm going to give half of everything I own to the poor. And if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay them back four times the amount. This is the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, the tax collector. God's grace changed him. And this is an identification of true faith, of the true faith, when we encounter God's overflowing and amazing grace, and we love it. Identification number three is holding to Christ versus denying Christ. See, Jude's last way to identify the true faith is by looking at the false teachers and the way they relate to Jesus, the false beliefs. What do these false beliefs have to say about Christ? Well, Jude says, well, they deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. Uh, uh, this word for sovereign, it's not a word that we use in our American culture anymore, uh, very often. And it actually, uh, the, our, our modern word despot actually sounds a lot like the Greek word. And when we think of a despot, we think of like a, 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 a dictator, a bad ruler. But in Jesus' time, in his culture, that didn't have that bad connotation. A sovereign could be a king, a, a master. Jude is saying, Jesus is king. Jesus is the sovereign. Jesus is the Lord. Now, he also says the word Lord. So you've called, you call Jesus, you know, sovereign and Lord. Well, in the Old Testament, 
there's words for God. There's the word Yahweh, and there's the word Adonai. And in the Old Testament, in our, in our English language, they're translated into the word Lord, and then in the New Testament as well. So all that means is that when Jude is saying Lord, he's saying Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is God. <laughs> That's a huge statement. Jude is saying, well, they're denying that Jesus is king, that Jesus is in charge, and that he is Yahweh, that he is God, that he is the God of the Old Testament. See, these identifications are all connected, aren't they? (laughs) Denying Jesus is at the heart of ungodly living. Denying Jesus leads to abusing God's grace. But the opposite is also true. Holding to Jesus leads to godly living. Knowing Jesus, experiencing Jesus, just like Zacchaeus, leads to loving God's grace. Leads to to being overwhelmed by God's forgiveness and love and being changed. So I have a question for you. Is Jesus your God? Is Jesus your Lord? Is Jesus your sovereign? Is he your king? If you were to examine your life and say, yes, you know, I don't, I don't always obey him. I don't always follow him as I should, should, but he is my king, then praise God. But if you can't say, you know what, I'm not, I'm not willing to give over this aspect of my life, my, my finances, my relationships, my living situation, my job, my faith. Well, Jesus wants to challenge you today. Jesus wants to challenge us to give every aspect of our lives to him. And that begins with just saying, I'm willing to bend my knee to this king. And I'll work, we'll work out the details of what that means for every aspect of my life as we go along. But that's how we begin to know that we're on the right path, that we're believing the true faith. It all begins with your relationship to Jesus, how you relate to him. There's an there's a interesting message in Christianity There's an interesting message in the gospel. See, the gospel tells us this. It tells us that we are all ungodly. (laughs) That we are all born as ungodly sinners. And that we are all born not even abusing God's grace, but not wanting God's grace. And that we we are all born denying Christ. What does God do? He comes into our life and he just... He changes that. Romans 5, 6 says this. It says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. See, the the gospel message is that Jesus came to change God-less people into God-filled people. That Jesus came to change those that don't trust God into trusting him. So that bad theologians can become good theologians. So fake Christians 
can become true Christians. This is what Jesus came to do. The third identification of true faith is holding to Christ. So what are the identifications? They're godly living, love of grace, and holding to Christ. And this isn't necessarily where it stops, but these are the three that we see in our passage today. We look at all the rest of Scripture and see how things, how, how, how one, um, you know, one thing that we believe, one part of the faith lines up with the rest of the Scripture. And so I do encourage you to come back for the rest of the series and see how everything connects. But ultimately, if you are ever going to be able to see that everything connects, you have to have a relationship with Christ. You have to have dealt with him first. Who is Jesus? How is he going to relate to me? How is he going to relate to my life? Is he sovereign? Is he Lord? Now next, as we look uh, towards the end of the passage, verses 20 through 21, we have to ask this question. Okay, so we know how to identify the true faith. We believe we have it, but how can we, how can we live it? How can we keep it? Jude 20 and 21. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. In these couple verses, Jude actually gives us four different ways to keep the faith. Way number one is to know what you believe. He says, build yourselves up in your most holy faith. He's talking about the faith. Build yourselves up. Grow in it. Know what you believe. Don't just go to church every week, sit in the pew and turn off your ears. (laughs) Open yourself so so that If people walk into your life that have a different story than what is true, that you can say, this isn't right. (laughs) One way you can do that is by coming back to the series. I've already said that. But another way is to go home this week and read through our articles of faith. And I want to challenge you to do that. You can find uh, the, the correct version on our website. Go to that version and read through each line. If there are words you don't understand, look them up. Look them up at home. And look at each of the little scripture references. We didn't see it today, but we have almost 100 footnotes of different scripture passages where we get our belief that it comes from the scriptures. It comes from God himself. And then come back week after week as we go through this series together. Another way you can do it, because that might not be enough, is to read a book. I'm advertising books tonight. I guess that's the theme of the night. This book was recommended to me. I've heard it recommended several times. And I'm reading it for the first time, and I would invite you to read it together with me. Know What You Believe by Paul Little. It, it breaks down almost just like our sermon series, what we believe about certain things, and it explains it in easy to understand words, and, and, and it's really wonderful, everything that I've read so far. And if you come talk to me after the service, I might be able to get you a free copy. So the first way you keep the faith is to know what you believe. Way number two is to pray in the Holy Spirit. Jude's second way to keep the faith is praying in the Holy Spirit. 
Now, Jesus gave us the faith, right? The things we believe, they come from Jesus. They come from his disciples. They come from the apostles. And so when we hold to the faith, when we, when we keep believing that, and we pray, God, would you help us believe what Jesus taught us, we're actually praying in the Holy Spirit. And when we pray in line with God's will as found in the scriptures, so if we're praying for our neighbor that they come to know Jesus, or we're, we're praying for our coworkers or the town of Westford, when we're praying for those people that they'd come to know Christ, we are praying in the Holy Spirit because we are praying in line with God's will. And when we pray as a church that God would safeguard us, that false teaching would be cast out, we're praying with the Holy Spirit. When we pray that we would all grow in the knowledge of who Jesus is and, and what the scriptures have to say, when we pray for that, we are praying in the Holy Spirit. Now notice, I don't say, well, if you experience a rush of emotion, that's what tells you that you are praying in the Holy Spirit. If you get lightheaded or you get adrenaline. Now that might happen. You might be praying and you, just, and you experience something supernatural. But first and foremost, that's not the way that we identify that we are praying in the Holy Spirit. When we simply pray God's will as found in the Bible, that's the first way we know that we are praying in the Holy Spirit. And then we can take everything we're learning and apply it to our lives. So if you go home tonight and you pray, dear Jesus, I want you to be sovereign over my life. I want you to reign over my life. I want you to be king over every aspect of my life. You're praying in the Holy Spirit. So way number two is to keep the faith, is to, is to pray in the Holy Spirit. And that way number three is to cultivate a love for God. Jude says, keep yourselves in God's love. This is actually a command. <laughs> Jude is saying, guard yourselves, keep yourselves, stay in God's love. That's an order. <laughs> it's it's kind of interesting, you know, you can't have someone say, you know, you need to love me. And yet, that's kind of what Jude is saying. He's saying, you need to seek to love God, to cultivate your relationship with God, to be intentional. See, it's, it's hard to, to stay in love, right, with a long distance if, you're, if you never seek to get close to God, if you never seek to encounter him. Don't make it a long distance relationship. Make your relationship with God a, a close distance one where you're getting to know him through spending time with him, through spending time with Christ. So the third way we keep the faith is by cultivating a love for God, experiencing God's love and remembering that the only reason we can ever love him is because he first loved us. And way number four is to hope in Jesus. Jude says, wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. It's amazing how Jude begins with Jesus, verse four, and then he circles back around to Jesus. See, it all begins and it all ends with who Jesus is. Everything in the scriptures points to him. Everything in our faith points to him. Because at the end of time, what matters is our relationship with him. I hope that as you're here today and that you're, that you're considering the, the things I've said, that you will consider, you know, 
when I jump, when I exit this life, who will catch me? The scriptures tell you that you know, if, if you put your faith in Christ, no one can, can take you out of the Father's hands. No one can remove you from God. You are safe and you are secure in Jesus. Our passage talks about eternity to bring you to eternal life. And the cool thing is, is that when we believe and we experience, uh, when we believe in this and we believe in the scriptures and we experience the truth, we begin to, to taste that eternal life in this life. We begin to experience the love of God, the goodness of God, a changed and a transformed life, a godly life. Now, the, the fourth way to, to keep the faith is to hope in Jesus. That's my, uh, my, my final encouragement for tonight, is to keep the faith, <laughs> to guard the faith. Your personal belief is important. That's how we begin to have a relationship with God. But we as a church, especially our elders when we get elders, and that's coming up soon, one of our main jobs is just keeping the faith, not being afraid to say, you know, this is what matters most. And it breaks my heart if we have to send people out. We never want to do that. Because ultimately, we want everyone to encounter Jesus. We want, to, we want people to encounter the saving grace of Christ. Last fall, uh, our church studied a book together. It's called Fruitfulness on the Front Line. And uh, it was produced by uh, a nonprofit called the London Institute for Contemporary Christianity, uh, LICC. And the, the person who founded this is a guy named John Stott. Uh, he has passed but he was the pastor of a church in central London for 25 years, All Souls Place. And preaching today describes him as like a peerless preacher. He was an evangelist. He was a teacher. Uh, he's famous. I read one of his books in seminary on preaching. And he had a heart for the church. He had a heart for making disciples. And one of his close friends, as, as John Stott was dying, one of his close friends, Oz Guinness, uh, went to see him. Now, Oz Guinness is also an author and a speaker. He's also uh, the descendant of a famous brewer, the Guinness family. Uh, but he went to see him. And Oz Guinness had a conversation with him. He says this, he writes, After an unforgettable hour and more of sharing many memories over many years, I asked him how he would like me to pray for him. Lying weakly on his back and barely able to speak, he answered in a hoarse whisper, Pray that I will be faithful to Jesus until my last breath. Pray that I will be faithful to Jesus until my last breath. We're going through this sermon series because we want to be faithful to Jesus. We want to hold to the faith until our last breaths. The Apostle Paul also said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race I have kept the faith at the end of his life. I pray that this would be your prayer, that this would be my prayer, that this would be our prayer as a church, that we would keep the faith. Let me pray. Jesus, we're grateful. 
We're grateful for these words, and we pray that they would stir our hearts in whatever way you want them to stir us. Would we keep the faith? Would we, uh, would we know it? Would we recognize it? Would we protect it, even when it hurts? And would we go above and beyond to tell others about the faith? Lord, I pray for the offering that we're about to take. Would you take these things that are ultimately all yours and use them to, to share the faith with others, to grow us in the faith? Would we be a church that loves Jesus and loves the faith? It's in his name we pray. Amen.